Welcome to Challenging the Status Quo Podcast Season 2, brought to you by Digital Savages, with your host, Amir Sabirovic. On the previous episode of Challenging the Status Quo, our guest and challenger was Anemarcia Aud, expert, trainer, advisor, guest speaker, and chairperson, instructor in nonverbal communication, and owner at the Behavior Company. And here is a short part of our conversation. But then it's very vague, and I don't get across what they actually want to say. And then the feedback or well not just feedback it's also what is happening in a team or or why didn't they meet the objectives they had then they don't say what they don't fully say what they want to say and then it becomes diffuse and then the manager doesn't know what to do or the or the client is confused so it doesn't have to be brutal i think it should be effective and helpful and constructive all those kind of things but it doesn't help to sugarcoat it and believes that if you want to challenge the status quo you have to do what you think is necessary behavior is very difficult to change and you have to nudge people it is very gratifying to see people grow and that you are allowed to be part of their journey and help them Anne's biggest dream is to move people in the way they want to go I hope you enjoyed Anne's life journey and you learned about how to start changing your behavior. Now we can welcome our following guest. Hi everyone and welcome to yet another episode of Challenging the Status Quo. Today my guest and challenger is Barbara Schouten. She's transformation and empowerment coach for ambitious aliens, sensitive leaders and intuitive empaths. Now I want to know her full story. Welcome Barbara. Awesome to have you on the show. Hi, Amir. Thank you so much for having me. I love your host and, and I love your, your talk, Challenging the Status Quo. So I'm very curious where our conversation today is going to lead us. It, thank you so much. And uh, you're, you're coaching aliens, so I'm very curious what that entails. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Barbara, can you tell us what your background is and how you got where you're right now? And please don't spare us the details. Okay, yes. I will start with the very, very beginning. And that was when I was growing up. I was picked on and bullied a lot in school. And I often got told by my parents and also my teachers that I was just too sensitive. They told me, don't take everything so seriously. You need to grow a thicker skin. Don't take everything so personal. And you really need to learn to let things go. And in hearing those words, I create this story for myself that I'm just not good enough and that there's something wrong with me, that I'm weird or that I'm strange. And in that moment, I decided to suppress my sensitivity, to suppress everything that made me me and to survive through my powers of reasoning because I wanted to prove that I'm a normal person just like everybody else because I wanted to get their approval and their love. I wanted to fit in. So I forced myself to be big and strong and show a brave face to the outside world and to do what was expected of me, to become that person that I thought everybody wanted me to be. And for a long time, that was my reality. And if we then fast forward to when I'm 32, I was working as a project manager for this IT company because I, I wasn't a coach all my life. I used to work in IT. I was a web designer, web developer, and a a programmer, then a project manager, and eventually an, an agile consultant. And in this capacity, I was working as a project manager in this IT company. And the company was struggling. 
And as a result of that, I was under a lot of stress because this was the make it or break it project. If this project was successful, then our company would survive. And if this project was not successful, then it meant bankruptcy for the entire company and all my colleagues would lose their job. So no pressure, you know? <laughs> and the project is not going the way it's supposed to. The customer is difficult and my boss is not giving me the support that I need. And I'm also responsible for my team to provide them with everything they need to have the project run smoothly. And, you know, it's not. But I'm also not getting the leeway to change anything in it. And every time our customer complains that something's not going the way they want to, my boss throws me under the bus. And that has having is having a huge impact on me. So I felt like I was on my toes, uh, stressed out to the max and then all of a sudden, one night, my boyfriend of seven years decides to end our relationship. For me, completely unexpected. We were sitting on the couch watching a film or a movie. And when the movie ends, he just gets up and I thought he was going to bed. And he turns around and he tells me, I'm done with this relationship. I want you to move out at the end of the week. And I was flabbergasted. There were no warning signs. We didn't even have fights, nothing. And the combination of those two being under so much stress for so long. And then my boyfriend, the, the person I thought I was going to grow old with suddenly ending our relationship that I just didn't see coming. It ended me up in a severe burnout and I just totally lose contact, uh, contact with myself. I lose contact with everything that makes me me and I felt like my reasoning and my feelings were no longer in touch and they were definitely not communicating with each other. So I was able to think things through intellectually. That was no problem at all. I could think what was happening and what I should have done or what I should do. But when it came to my feelings, I just couldn't keep up anymore. I just couldn't actually do the things that my mind was coming up with. And all of a sudden I have all these emotions that I just don't know how to handle. And what I remember most is that I, I just, I couldn't stop crying and I was so incredibly tired. And all I could think was, why is this happening to me? I'm a good person and I'm always there for other people and I work so hard and why is this happening? And it's in this period that my boss tells me that he thinks I'm an HSP because his wife is one and we are exactly alike. And then he continues with his talk. And at first I thought he was calling me a name because I didn't know what HSP meant. Had he said highly sensitive person, because that's what it means. I could maybe have done something with it. You would at least recognize sensitive and person, you know, <laughs> but he, he called me an HSP and I thought he was calling me a name, that he was disappointed in me for failing and ending up in that burnout. And it made me feel even, even worse. And I remember thinking, how am I ever going to get out of this burnout? How am I ever going to feel like myself again? But also, what am I going to do with my life? And who am I really? Because yeah, there was a reason for me ending up there. And I just, I felt like I just didn't know who I was anymore. But the term HSP, it stuck with me. And 
when I got back to my workstation, I decided to Google it because, you know, I needed to find out what name he was calling me and what it meant, you know. And I discovered that HSP stands for highly sensitive person. And I discovered that I am a highly sensitive person. And, you know, it felt like I was coming home to myself. I recognized so much and hungry. I read every book I could find about it. And I became a member of Fora for highly sensitive people. And with every story that I read, I just, I got to know myself better and better. And I realized I'm not weird and I'm not strange and there's nothing wrong with me. And most of all, there are other people like me. And the more I understand myself and the more insight I get into my user manual, the more at ease I started to feel with the person that I am. And while I was reading all this information, that process suddenly takes me back to my childhood and to the things that people told me. And I started to understand that they were telling me these things, not because they didn't like me or because they were trying to hurt me, but they were telling me those things because they wanted the best for me. And they cared so much that they wanted to shield me from the pitfalls of being a highly sensitive person. They just wanted life to be easier for me. And they believed that if you were just like everybody else, if you didn't put your head out above the cornfield, that life would be easier, that life would be better. But it's not. It's not easier when you're constantly suppressing who you really are. It's not easier to constantly live a lie. It's not easier to not understand yourself and to not understand why you cannot find a connection with other people, why your brain works differently, why people keep telling you things about yourself that you think are just not, un not true. And in, in, in getting to know myself and, and getting to know all these things about high sensitivity and who I really am and what it means for me, I, I started to feel whole again. I started to feel like my head and my heart have found each other. And I realized that it's okay to be me, sensitive, weird, alien and all. Because that to me is what the alien part stands for. It's for people who feel like they are an outsider looking in for people who feel like they cannot connect with other people in this world, who feel like they are weird or strange and who like me for the longest time in their lives seriously considered that there was something wrong with them. And it's not. You know, about 80% of the entire world population is not highly sensitive. So that means 20% of the entire world population is highly sensitive. And to put that into perspective, 11% of the entire world population is left-handed. So just think back to how many people you know or see in your day-to-day -day things that are left-handed and then realize that high sensitivity is more in the world. There are more highly sensitive people in the world than there are left-handed people. So it's very normal to be a highly sensitive person and it doesn't make you better, it doesn't make you worse, it just makes you a highly sensitive person. And 
I don't believe in labels and I don't believe in boxes. And I, I hate it when people label me or put me in a box. So for me, finding out that I'm a highly sensitive person does not mean that I'm labeling myself because a lot of people that I speak to have difficulties in naming themselves to be a highly sensitive person, mainly because of the word sensitive. It leaves like a bad taste in the mouth. And a lot of us think that if we acknowledge that we are sensitive, that that means something negative about ourselves, that we are somehow less than instead of just the wonderful person that we are. And even the founder of the term, it's, which is Elaine Aaron, she did a lot of research into it. She's a psychologist and she discovered the term and, and um, the difference between highly sensitive people and non-highly sensitive people in, in the beginning of the 90s. She now also admits that highly sensitive person might not have been the best word choice to describe the persons that we are. Uh, a lot of people tell me, oh yeah, but everybody becomes highly sensitive from stress. Well, that's not true. High sensitivity is not a disease. It's not an affliction. And it's also not something you can become. It's hereditary. You're born with it. It's as normal to you as the color of your hair or the color of your eyes. And it just means that you literally hear more, see more, smell more, touch more, taste more, and experience more. Because our sensory antennas are more finely tuned. Our, our central nervous system is more finely tuned. So they proved this actually scientifically by putting a highly sensitive person and a non-highly sensitive person. Uh, I will call them normal people, even though it's not the best, but it's, it's easier, you know, a highly sensitive person and a normal person talks a bit easier. Um, so they put a normal person and an HSP under an MRI and they presented them with the exact information, the exact same images, the exact same videos, the exact same audio fragments. And what they saw was that a lot more areas of the brain light up for the highly sensitive person than that for the normal person. So that proved that in the same situations with the same stimuli, with the same um, everything, a highly sensitive person hears more, sees more, feels more, tastes more, experiences more, just more of everything. So that also means a lot more information is coming in than for a non-highly sensitive person. It also means that being a highly sensitive person means that we can process this information much quicker and on a much, much deeper level. So we have a lot of this information to process, but we also go through it very quickly. But the combination of having this much information and having to work through all of it can make us be exhausted at the end of the day in combination with being a perfectionist. And that doesn't translate to how your house looks. You know, my house is far from perfect and, and sometimes it can be a real mess. That's, that's not what it means, but it means that I raised the bar really high for myself. Things that I would take from other people, like at this, this podcast, for instance, if you had been late five minutes, I would have thought, oh, there must be something preventing you from being here and, and you will come, you know, it's fine, I will wait. But me being five minutes late, oh no, that's just totally unacceptable. 
And then this is a relatively harmless example, but it works with a lot of these things. So especially in our job, we have this, this, this deep-rooted desire to both help other people, but also to do the best that we can. And we demand a lot of ourselves. It needs to be perfect. You know, good is not good enough. It needs to be perfect. And I remember I was doing my exam because I'm also an acupuncturist besides a coach. And I was doing my acupuncture exam. And while I was doing it, I, I knew my stuff, you know. I could answer the questions and I felt this deep confidence in myself. And I thought, I nailed it. You know, this is yes. There were maybe two or three questions that I wasn't completely sure about, but I thought I gave a good answer anyway. But the rest of the stuff, I knew it. So I felt like in my country, the highest grade you can get is a 10. And the lowest is a one. So I felt like Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm at least a nine, you know, my end result, my end mark, it will be at least a nine. That's how I felt like I did and how I felt like I could answer the questions. And when I got my mark back, I had an 8.5 and I was devastated. I was so disappointed in myself. So, but then beyond reason, you know, because I thought it would be at least a nine or even a nine and a half, you know, because Honestly, there were just two or three questions that I, I didn't know or I wasn't quite sure about. And I was so disappointed in myself until my mom told me, are you listening to yourself? And I said, yes, I thought I had a nine or higher. It's an 8.5, you know, that's unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, but an 8.5, it's, it's a really good grade. You should be proud. And all I could think about was, it's not a nine or higher. <laughs> <laughs> you know, th th that's the perfectionism that I'm, I'm talking about. It's, it's demanding so much from yourself. And if another person would say I had an 8.5, would say, wow, that's just incredible. And for me, it was like, oh, Lord, that's disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> you knew better. You knew better. You knew for a nine. Not yes. 8.5. <laughs> yes. You know, so it's it's not it's it's holding others also to a high standard because uh, you want things to be good. So if you're in a team, you will not accept subpar results. Uh, it needs to be of a certain kind, but it's especially hard on your especially being hard on yourself, demanding perfection in your actions, the best that you can be, uh, the best that you can do. That's one of the other reasons that we are prone to stress or burnout. Uh, the, the, the taking in much more energy, having to process all this energy, then being a perfectionist, raising the bar really high for yourself. And then the third factor in, in this entire story is, and I, I didn't know this, this was one of the biggest eye openers, I think for myself when I found out I'm a highly sensitive person we can take over other people's energies and emotions as if they are our own. So when I was young, I'm normally a happy, bubbly um, personality, positive, upbeat, you know. And all of a sudden, seemingly from one moment until the other to the next, I could be inconsolably sad and I would cry my eyes out. And my mom would come up to me and she said, why are you crying? I don't know. 
Did somebody hurt you? No. Did somebody call you a name? No. Did somebody say something mean to you? No. <laughs> so why are you crying? I don't know. <laughs> that was usually my response. And I honestly, I didn't know. I didn't know why I was crying. And they even tried to put me in the box of borderline. And that, because one of the symptoms of, of borderline personality is that you can go from sad to happy to sad and like that, you know, but that's not what's going on for the highly sensitive person. It wasn't until I discovered that we can take over other people's energies and emotions as if they are our own, that I realized it was not my sadness. I couldn't tell why I was sad because it was not my sadness. I was picking up on somebody's sadness in my environment and I think my mom's, if I look back, and I was crying her tears or was crying her sadness as if it was my own. And it felt like it was my sadness, but I could, I could never pinpoint an origin or a cause for that sadness. And that confused the hell out of me. I just, I didn't understand why that was happening until I discovered I can take over other people's energies and emotions as if they are my own. So a lot of us don't know that we have this ability. And a lot of us don't know we are highly sensitive. I only found out at 32. And my mom only found out way, way later. And I, I speak to so many people who either don't know that they are or are discovering it while they're talking with me, which is wonderful, you know, to see that spark of recognition and, and that light in their eyes. And then, oh my God, just me, just me, just me, just me. Ooh, <laughs> insight into myself. So taking over other people's energies can be exhausting, especially when you constantly try to figure out why you're feeling that way. So one of the first things I teach people is to distinguish, is this my feeling or is it somebody else's? Because if it's somebody else's, then you can just stop worrying about it right then and there. It's not your sadness. You don't have to find the cause. You don't have to find a solution, bam, and you can let it go, which is amazing. And if it is yours, then you know why you're angry. You know why you're sad. There is a reason and you know it. So that is one part. And, and then the other part is what I like to call energy vampires. Energy vampires are the people that love talking with me because they always feel so much better after talking with me. Well, they feel better and I feel drained. I feel like I was hit by, by a Zamboni, the, one, you know, the, the, the machine that cleans the ice. <laughs> and then they backed over me a couple of times. You know, that's usually how <laughs> I feel when I meet these people. And, and they love us. They love our energy. They're very, they're like moths to a flame. They feel drawn to yeah. highly sensitive people. You know, Barbara, um, a part of crying for no reason, um, thank you for the diagnose uh, for myself. Um, because I avoid a lot of these energy vampires. I have no room in my life for them. When, when you look at it, uh, and, and feeling the negativity or somebody's bad energy when he enters the room, like what kind of black hole did walk in right now? <laughs> and you, you're already getting ready. Um, but it's really interesting what you say, 20%, uh, 11%. So, uh, I, and I also get your background and the wish from your parents and your environments to, you know, behave conditioned uh, because when you look at the left-handed, the world is made for the right-handed people. Yes. 
So all tools, everything in your life is actually made for right-handed people because mm -hmm. the percentage of the left-handed is so small, it's just marginal. I mean, when you look at the total. So the business world is also set up for emotionless people. Okay, I'm exaggerating maybe, yes, but it's not like... Uh, it's not like, you know, uh, you, you share your emotions. You're per being perceived as naive if you're too honest and too transparent about who you are, what you do, and why you do it. And you're saying, why are you so honest? Come on, man, hide stuff. No, I don't want to hide anything. <laughs> yes, indeed. What you see is what you get. That's I'm very what you see is what you get. And especially when sharing things on LinkedIn, Facebook is a little bit more accepting of, of sharing authentic things, but especially LinkedIn, which is a more business network, um, it was frowned upon to, to share things that was a tearjerker or that actually showed real honest emotion. And you're right, you know, 20% means that four out of the five people that you meet are not like you. Don't act like you, don't talk like you, don't think like you, don't do like you. And that is a big factor in why most of us feel weird or strange or like an outsider, like an alien, like they don't fit into this world. A misfit. Yes, misfit. And I, I, I chose not to use the word misfit because for me it carries a bit of a, a negative um, energy, a negative load. Uh, because I don't see us as misfits. I see us as incredibly wonderful people with a lot of amazing superpowers. And we just need to discover that. We need to let go of this notion that we need to be like everybody else. We need to let go of this notion that we should conform to the other 80% of the world and have a business exactly like them with the exact same methods, with the exact same products, with the exact same website. For me, it's about being authentic, being who you are. But this is this is actually so. Um, I I did I never wanted to be like somebody else. I don't have idols, you know, people that idolize other people, I and I cherish <clears throat> I cherish misfits, anomalies. I think that's special. Swimming against the stream, not taking this, you know the easy path. The easy path is conformity, right? Yes. Um, and actually, the society is made like that. Yes. So you have to conform and abide and play by the book and play, play by the rules. But I don't want to color within frames. I'm going to go outside of it. Always. Because it's boring. The, 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 the square is boring. It's, you know, what's, it's, it's a square. Um, so we're living in the world that is not designed to uphold all this emotion and etc. If you go to personal, then people said, why are you so personal? Why are you sharing emotions online? Why are you giving them opinion how you stand in life? Because it is like that, and I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I don't care how somebody interprets it. Yes. Um, but on another side, what, what I see as a movement right now, I mean, look at uh, servant leadership, empathetic leader, emotion, culture, it's all tied because I have a feeling that the majority of the people is like that Pareto principle, like 20, so 80% of the people would actually love to feel like those 20% of the people, like they're at home and not at work. Mm -hmm. like they, they have a work-life balance, which is a total illusion. You have one life, one, one, 
body, one thought or one brain. It's like being schizophrenic. I mean, when you, when you would diagnose, yeah, I behave totally different when I'm at home than I'm at work. What? Why? Uh, yes. Crazy. You are <laughs> yeah. your business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 too awkward. And and giving this roller coaster of yours. Now you're Zen. I I hope and I I think. Yes. Um, what is your definition of success? My definition of success is that I am able to live my life on my own terms. A life that makes me happy, a life that allows me to be free who I really am uh, and free to do what I really love doing. Yeah. You're in the flow. Yes. The, you know, the ikigai, I hope. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. I'm in the yeah. sweet spot so, in the middle. You're in the flow. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and and I, I probably know this answer, but um, if I would give you a magic wand or the shoes that Dorothy had in The Wizard of Oz. Well, I love those. Clap. <laughs> okay, you can have those. Uh, and you can clap them and you can travel to whichever period of your childhood to your desire. What would you tell to your younger self? What would be your two cents for her advice? Well, I would probably make sure that my younger self doesn't grow up where she grew up. I would take her away completely because it already started at, at a very young age. But um, if I had to talk to myself that actually understands things already and that has the ability to create a different life, um, I would help her be herself, be proud of who she is instead of trying to conform to everybody else and trying your damnness to be like everybody else and then still feeling rejected for everything. And in the end, even if you're doing that, you people do that because they are afraid of losing everybody in their life. They're afraid of not having friends. They're afraid of being completely alone. But what I realized is that I've never been as alone when I was trying to be someone as I, I'm not than I've ever been since I've become who I really am. Does that make sense? It, it does, clearly. Um, but don't you think, so you, you said the definition is high sensitive person, right? And that's 20%. Yes. Don't you think that even normal people, quote unquote, have this issue? Because I yeah. have a feeling that everybody is trying to fit in conditioned life, that they didn't really choose themselves, that they really don't believe themselves. But nevertheless, yeah. it pays the mortgage. So let's let's go on with it. That's true. You know, that was one of the things that confused me the most. Because if I look around, everybody is miserable. So it seems to be a normal part of life to be miserable in your job and to not like your job and to be glad it's Friday and to hate Monday mornings. You know, everybody I spoke to had that. But I don't have that anymore now that I have my own business. So it's not the normal way of living. And yes, there are a lot of people that are living a life that they think they need to live without even thinking about if that's the life they want. But for the normal person, that's often less of a factor because, yeah, how to put this without insulting people? <laughs> highly <laughs> Just <sensitive do> it. <laughs> people often also are highly gifted and highly intelligent. And we feel very strongly we have this calling. 
We have a mission. We have a reason for being here. And we want to help people and we want to contribute positively. We want that when we die, people are glad that we had a place here on this earth that we, we made a positive difference. That is what most of us want. And most normal people don't think in those terms. They're already happy that they can pay the mortgage and pay the bills and send their kids to college. And that to them is a successful life. Um, maybe they're not ambitious enough. Maybe they're not smart enough. I don't know. But most highly sensitive people are very ambitious, are very intelligent and have this deep inner desire that's just not coming to fruition when you are trying to be like everybody else. And I actually did a podcast episode um, and I, I call it the rules, the bullshit rules of life. And that's what we have been handed down from generation to generation. Things, uh, rules about how it is supposed to be how you are supposed to live your life. You need to have a spouse and two children and a white picket fence and maybe a dog because that's just, then you're successful. That's how a successful is life is supposed to look. And that's done just your life. But there are so many, it, it comes down into so many things, you know, even cooking recipes. It's, this dish is supposed to be cooked like this. Well, maybe in, in, in your family, but my family cooks completely differently. Um, and, and that's what a lot of things. So we've been handed down these rules, these belief systems about how things are supposed to operate in life, or th how things are supposed to work in life, how you are supposed to act, how you are supposed to respond. Um, and we take them in as truth. And seldom do we stop to think, why? Why am I supposed to do it like this? Why can't I do it like that? This is also one of the things that I encountered a lot in school. You know, I was, I was doing um, Ateneum, which is one of the highest levels in, in, in this country for education. And then it's not about giving the right answer. It's about your reasoning for coming to that answer. And my answer was right, but they, they felt like my reasoning was wrong. So I got to the right answer, but instead of going left, I went right. And then they would say your entire answer is wrong because you didn't use the correct method in acquiring that answer. And I was like, oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, why? My answer is correct. And just because you don't have the ima imagination necessary to, to think left or right-sided instead of only being able to do it left-sided doesn't make my answer any, any less wrong or good. You know, it's just, a different way of coming to an answer. And I've, I've seen that with, with multiple people. My nephew, for instance, he had these problems with math in school. And then you need to write out uh, your formula and how you uh, did your calculations and then your answer. And his answer was always right, but they didn't agree with his method of acquiring the answer. And then everything was deemed faulty or wrong. This is very interesting. The last guest of uh, uh, my podcast said that people are damaged by university and high schools. They have they get brain damaged. Yes. And this is because they get dealt a methodology or a model according to the system, which is not right. Somebody invented it and it's not 100% pure truth. There are different ways to get to the answer. But if you're just taught one model and you can only reason in one model, then you're actually brain damaged because there are multiple ways to get to your answer. Um, yes. 
So in a kind of education brings a lot, but this also damages a lot, especially thinking creatively about the solution for a problem. Oh, the biggest problem of our society is conformity. And that starts in school. We are supposed to be like every other child with the exact same desk and the exact same chair and the exact same books and the exact same pens and, you know, everything the exact same. But we are unique beings. And instead of looking at you and me and what are our talents and how can we use those talents to the best of our ability, we are put into this in Dutch, we would call it a curse life. We, were, we are being pressed into this version that somebody somewhere decided is a successful person. And one of the things that killed me in school was the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? The only answer I could give was happy. <laughs> I want to be happy when I grow up. And, but, but they obviously meant a career and... One of the things I discovered about myself is that I am a multi-potentialite. And that means that I have a lot of interests and I'm also good at most of them. I, I have- Polymath. Started, yes, polymath is, is another word for it. I call it multi-potentialite. Um, so I am good in a lot of things. I'm good at a lot of things. And even if I've never done it before, I look at what's the worst that could happen. And I think, okay, I can handle that. And then I do it and I turn out to be good at it. And in the beginning, this surprised the hell out of me because nobody teaches you that you can be good at multiple things. You always need to choose one thing and then become really good at that one thing. And don't get me wrong. There are people who thrive with this like surgeons or specialists or you know they are really good at one thing and we need those people you know we need people who are good at the thing that they are doing so they need to stay but and that's also where the alien part comes in there are just people who don't fit into that mold uh, you, you said about right-handed left-handed i found out actually that i'm a left-handed person because i do everything in sports on the left side I did my cartwheels completely different than other people. I jump on the backseat of, of a bike from the completely opposite side of other people, but people forced me to ride with my right hand because that's the way it was supposed to be. And they also force you to choose one career and then study your entire life of becoming that one thing. But doing one thing bores me. I am an extrovert. I just, I just wanted to answer so Freaking boring, just doing yes. one thing. There's yes. so much interesting things. Why, why should I do just one thing? I could never choose. And, and even when I was working for a boss, I was a project manager, yes. But I was also a scrum master. People that work in IT and work with agile methodologies knows what it is. It's, it's a way of managing a project also. Um, but I was also the front-end developer and sometimes even help with programming. And I loved it. I loved that I had multiple hats and that not every day was the same. And, you know, a, a misconception about high sensitivity is that we think that they are very introverted people. And 70% of all highly sensitive people are introverted, but 30% are not. So even within the high sensitive community, I still felt like an alien because I don't get much of my energy when being alone. I also, I love going to parties. I loved going dancing. I went to house parties once a month and a true introvert just gruels of that, needing to go to some place like that. And, oh my God, no, thank you. But I love 
uh, giving workshops. I love giving talks. I live giving these types of interviews because I'm extroverted. But I need this stimulus of constantly being challenged to some degree. But then there's also the other side of the medallion that sometimes I get overstimulated or overchallenged, that it becomes too much. And then I do withdraw within myself. I take out the doorbell, I take out my phone and I put it on flight mode. And then I just binge watch one series for an entire day. And then I'm, I'm myself again by myself. Recovery you know? mode. <laughs> yes, recovery mode. And that's what they call high sensation seeker. It's like having one foot on the gas pedal and one foot on the brake. And when it's too slow, it gets boring. So you're giving a little bit of gas because you need more excitement. There needs to be a little bit of more in your life, but then more becomes too much. And then you breaking, breaking, this is too much, too much. <laughs> and then you, whoo, I need to recuperate. I need to re-energize myself. And then, you know, oh my God, this is boring. Oh, I need some more activity. <laughs> and it's a constant battle between those two, between being challenged enough to keep it worthwhile and not becoming it not becoming boring, but not being overly challenged, which will end you in too much stress, being exhausted, ending up in a burnout if it lasts so long. It's a constant, yeah, back and forth motion. And sometimes they even call this uh, being an ambivert shifting between extroversion and introversion, extroversion and introversion, uh, which is where ambivert comes from. And yeah, there, there are so many different things that make up me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's very, it's very necessary, I would say, to discover all these parts of you because um, being a business owner actually caters to my multi-potentialism. Uh, multi uh, I love that... I am the IT department, but I'm also the sales department. I'm the marketing department. I am the accounting department, but I'm also the coach and I'm also the acupuncturist. And I am so many more things that I keep forgetting, uh, like like um, the CEO, but also uh, the one that cleans the toilet every day. You know, your, your multiple roles and within a business being the person that I am, I love it because no day is the same. And here, here is a question, just uh, verifying my own uh, <laughs> continuous curiosity. Um, how fast can you gain knowledge and expertise about certain topics that interest you and being able to talk about it like you have done it for 30 years? Okay. That's fast. You, <laughs> Thank you for the answer. <laughs> you know, I, I, I used to be ashamed of this part of myself. I was doing... Um, at an AIM and I didn't do my homework. If I just paid attention in the class, then when we had an exam or a test or whatever, I would just take my book or see what the exam was about. And I think, oh, I know this, I know this, I know this, I know this. Okay, reading this, check. Okay, I know this, I know this, I know this, I know this. Oh, reading that, okay, good to go. And I would get an eight or a nine or sometimes even a 10. And then I would talk to my classmates and they were telling me, are asking basically, how long did you study for this test? And I studied for 12 hours and I still don't feel like I'm grasping the materials. And, and then they get like a six or something. And I always felt ashamed for telling them, well, I went out and I, go, I, I went dancing and uh, I uh, <laughs> all these other stuff. So for me, 
I, because we see these connections and, and we are very fast in our head, we process information much faster and then it's, it kind of clicks and I love being able to connect it to other pieces of information in my brain and you see all the connections and the interwovenness of everything and then it just, it's there. Yeah, you have a holistic view of the world or topics that interest you and you're, be, you're able to connect the dots. Yes. Yes. You always look at the bigger picture and then just insert something in and then connect it to everything that's already there. <laughs> a, a total different question. I know that you don't have idols, but nevertheless, if I would give you the possibility to dine, to eat with three people of your choice, alive or dead, or to live in three time periods, which of one of those people or time periods would it be? And which three, of course? Hmm. Well, I have discovered Earl Nightingale lately. And Earl is being called the Dean of Personal Development. And I love his teachings. I love his voice. I love men with a very deep voice, like, like Barry White, you know, I, there's something about that. And he also has a deep voice. He used to be a radio talk show host, which I think is perfect for his voice but he also says just these amazing things and um, he has a sense of humor and he is saying things that are really computing and clicking so i would love to meet him and be in his time period he's he died already so it's it's not possible to to actually speak to him right now um but that would be one of the people that i would love meeting um and I recently discovered Jim Rohn. I'm not sure if he's still alive, but he was a big hit in the 80s. So I'm guessing he'll be really old by now. <laughs> <laughs> he also is very inspirational with the things that he's saying, with what he's talking about. And he has this, this wonderful sense of humor that he infuses in his talks. And um, I, I listen to a lot of audiobooks while walking in nature, and usually they're very monotone. The people that are reading these audiobooks, I seriously considered writing an email to, to publishers of audiobooks saying, This is killing my mind. I, maybe this book would be there very. There is no excitement there. <laughs> yes, it's like I went to the grocery and I bought three apples and a banana and then I went to the bakery and I bought a bread and then after the bread I oh. went to, the, to the, the, the vegetable guy and I also bought some vegetables and then it was time to go home. It's just very flat and <laughs> he just can talk like, oh yeah, but I went to the supermarket yesterday and guess what I found there <laughs> and then starts sharing about those things. So the way you present yourself and the way you tell your story to me is also very um, necessary and if I would be able to, 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 to take it into my system. And he has this wonderful way of, of explaining things and, and saying it in, in very simple terms um, that, that other people can understand. Uh, he, I, I heard his talk, for instance, about the law of sowing and reaping. That was what my latest uh, HSP TV episode was about. And he then explains, or, or one of the questions was, yeah, okay, I understand your whole law. I'm, I'm not going to explain it right now, but I did everything right. And still, I didn't get the results in my business. And then he says, you know, you have this farmer and this farmer plants his crops in the spring and he waters his crops all summer long, tends to them, 
cares for them, pulls out the weeds, makes sure they have everything they need to flourish. And he is a good husband. He has a wife, he has children, he provides for them. And come fall, when it's time to harvest, a day before he actually sends the combines into the field, a hailstorm comes and it hails everything into the ground. And you might think, what did he do wrong? And the answer is nothing. This is just that kind of planet. Sometimes you do everything right and it still fails. And you need to be prepared for that. And you need to accept that that can happen without it doubting yourself, tearing yourself down. Uh, and you need to have a contingency plan. And I love the way he just puts that into words that are so simple and understandable because we all have this image we can think of when hey, you're planting seeds and the crops are starting to grow and you know what it looks like when it's corn time and it needs to be harvested. And then, you know, a hailstorm and act outside of yourself. You can't predict that. No, and you can also not prevent it and you, you cannot make this kind of glass ceiling above all your cornfields. <laughs> you know, that's just, just, it's not possible. And yeah, so he was really inspirational also in, in, in what I learned. And um, then you want to have a third person, <laughs> which is a bit more difficult, but I also learned a lot from Elaine Aaron about high sensitivity and who I am as a person. And I would love to pick her brain and sit down for lunch and maybe talk about a better term to call us and, and um, maybe also come up with a plan of educating people from a younger age, because I think there's a lot wrong with our educational system. Right? We only learn things that have to do with our head facts and and um uh even languages you know it's it's just it's just putting a lot of facts in our head and we don't learn things like uh, um effective communication what is your intuition and how can it guide you in your life um what is my body trying to tell me and how can i listen to it better all those types of things we don't learn and we don't learn to be an empathic person to let people live their own life without judgment without condemning them and I think that that is one of the things that is extremely wrong with our society right now that we're not learning these things what they call soft skills or maybe it even goes beyond soft skills and yeah I, I would love to talk to her about how she envisions this and how we can maybe um incorporate learning these things into our schooling system globally to help prepare people. I think if we just exchange R for B in HR, HB, not human resources, we're not some ore that you can dig up, but no. human beings, <laughs> it would start with that uh, and then go down uh, downwards. Yes. Yeah, uh, Barbara, uh, you you have an awesome story and thank you thank you for sharing but um we have come to the end of the podcast and now i want you to summarize everything you know in your two cents for our audience <laughs> <laughs> not a yeah it's an easy task well what i always say is um if you feel like you don't fit into this world and you resonate with what I've shared with you today, 
and you are curious that it might be about you to just come and talk with me because I can help you get clear on what is really important to you in your life. And then I can show you how to get that life. That's in a nutshell what I do for people. And I believe that if you want happiness and freedom and love, which I think most of us want in the end, right? Then it starts with you. If you wanna be free, you need to be you. I always say, if I want to be free, I need to be me. <laughs> that's what it's about. I, I think be, being yourself always and being true to yourself always. I think that's a beautiful uh, key takeaway, Barbara. Thank you very much for sharing these insights. Very valuable. It was very valuable for me. And I'm certain that uh, audience will appreciate them all. Um, I wish you all the luck and success in your future endeavors and other topics that you might find interesting. And I hope to see and uh, read about it uh, on LinkedIn or other medias that you're using. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for having me, Amir. I, I loved our talk. I loved where our direction took us. And if I only got to inspire one person and I've already done that with you, um, then you know my mission has been a complete success. So thank you for this opportunity. And I love to stay connected. Thank you. Likewise. See you. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for listening, dear ladies and gentlemen. That was Barbara Schouten. Next week, our guest and challenger of the status quo is Emin Kekechi, the alchemist at Masters with Dreams. And here's a short part of our conversation. To, sum up, uh, to summarize it with one sentence, this is uh, getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. If I, uh, was, if I felt uncomfortable uh, years ago, then uh, it's really burned up inside of me and now if I am uncomfortable I see it as a ground so uh, eventually I build a shield, shield around me and uh, if someone is trying to validate me like Amen, what are you doing uh, you're doing another idea another thing etc are you curious about the rest of Amen's story tune in next week to learn all about his life's journey but also how he helps students challenging the status quo for now, this was Challenging the Status Quo Podcast Season 2 with your host, Amir Sabirovic. Stay safe and healthy, and until next week, ciao!